is speaking from God's word about the poor and about justice. And so it's kind of aligned that way again. And so we're going to sort of jump right in. You guys are working your way through Proverbs, which is really a collection of um, pithy truisms. It's a, it's a collection of short little poems and sayings that teach us how to live a, wi- a life that's well lived. Um, it's God's wisdom and God's scripture to us. And it's just ways, things that we can think about that, that give us a sense of how to live life. And um, the keynote text that I'm going to be speaking off of this morning is Proverbs 14, if you want to open to that. Proverbs 14, verse 31. In your pew Bibles, it's page 639. Proverbs 14, 31. It says, He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Let me just pray for us as we get started. God, thank you for your word and for the wisdom that comes forth through the collection of sayings and proverbs. I pray that the power of your word would, uh, would move in people's hearts through your spirit. Um, I pray that your voice would be elevated above mine and um, that we together would discover what you are speaking to us and to this congregation in this day and age, um, in this place, through your message. Um, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, as you kind of move your way through Proverbs and you touch on all the different aspects of life, one of the, one of the things that's unavoidable in the midst of all of that is touching on what it means to interact with and deal with the poor and the needy that are around you. It's just part of the fabric of life. And Proverbs just points to that without apology and says, this is yet another part of what it means to live on a day-by-day basis, is being aware of the people who are below you on the social ladder and your attitude or your posture towards them. And um, I've got, just by way of kind of illustrating a little bit of of that, just a story from my own life. But before I tell that, I would like to invite each of you, and this could be a challenge, um, but invite each of you to actually think of or picture someone in your sort of daily existence or reality who, um, who is poor or needy. And you may not know them by name. They may be um, someone that you just see on a regular basis as you move through your day. But, and they may be someone that maybe you've never met. Maybe it's actually somebody in the headlines or on the other side of the world, but maybe right there in your community, someone who um, serves you on a regular basis in some way or someone who's around you who might be poor or needy. And just kind of picture them. And as we move through the text and listen to what Proverbs has to say, I'd like you to keep them in mind. Um, for me, it goes back to a childhood encounter that I had repeatedly um, through the window of my parents' Volvo. And I'll read this. It's kind of a reflection that I wrote not too long ago. I'll just invite you to enter into the backseat of that, that uh, car with us kids as we, as we observe this. We called him Herschel Walker, though we didn't know his name. He always sat by the Long's Drugs on Bastion Cherry Boulevard. He'd park his shopping cart full of mysteries by the dumpster in the back and watch the world go by. He wasn't really asking for anything. Never really harassed anyone. He seemed to simply want to rest the weary bones beneath his blackened skin in the quiet back lots of Placentia, California, sheltering himself in the shade and anonymity of a busy street in North Orange County. 
It's unfortunate, really, that we encountered him only at the speed of 25 miles per hour. We were just kids, and in our innocence, our lively imaginations gave him a name and a story entirely to our making. We'd roll through the list of narratives like we knew the man, merely to amuse ourselves on the way to soccer practice or music lessons or youth group. My sister imagined he was a washed-up studio musician who'd lost his way. My brother pictured him as a merchant marine, returned to a family that no longer welcomed him. I had him devastated by his fictional wife's turn for the worst in her protracted battle with cancer. I'm sure poor Herschel Walker and his shopping cart would be dismayed at all the misfortunes and misadventures the Prince family attributed to him day after day without his knowing. I suppose if we had walked by, we would have learned his real name. I suppose if we had been able to pull over and stop, we would have learned why he chose to sit there every day and do nothing. But at the time, we were intent to press our noses against the windows of the Volvo and exclaim, there is Herschel again, more content to fantasize about him in our rearview mirrors than to actually bother to shake his hand. I think our modern predicament, the elixir of our time, is that if we insulate ourselves enough, we can somehow be immune to the cry of the poor. Our culture wages war against our senses and it keeps us from seeing, from hearing, from touching and feeling, from suffering with the poor around us. See, we know about poverty. We see it in the headlines. We see it scrolling past us on the ticker tape of our news programs. We hear it in the campaign rhetoric every four years. Poverty we know, but it's poor people we don't know. Our culture screams it at us. Stick these cute little earbuds in your ears and turn up the volume. Buy a larger screen and absorb the world in high definition. Drive a little faster and keep your eyes on the road. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. Take these pills, sleep a little bit more, and you'll feel a little bit better. I'm afraid we've forgotten how to care about the poor and the needy around us because we've forgotten how to be human. How to walk slowly, make eye contact, express sympathy, offer hospitality, or to heal one another's wounds. Let me ask you this. In today's world, would the Good Samaritan have seen the half-dead Herschel Walkers of our world lying by the side of the road? Or would he have missed him at the speed of 55 miles per hour en route from the gym to the movie theater. I realize I'm kind of walking into a difficult topic here. It's sort of an unusual position to be in when you're a guest speaker and you kind of break open God's word and this is what it has to say. So let me, let me give you just kind of a word. When we, when we start talking about the rich and the poor, it sounds like we're talking about money and all of a sudden it sounds like, it feels very personal and private, doesn't it? And the reality is here, we can't avoid this because Proverbs doesn't avoid it. It's right here, it's all over the fabric of Scripture, and it's kind of woven into the message of the daily life wisdom that Proverbs offers. So we can't skip it, because Proverbs doesn't skip it. But at the same time, I do want to say this is less about the haves and the have-nots, about whether you're rich or poor, and it's more about how we treat people. This is actually about how we engage those around us from all spectrums of life. And Proverbs has a lot to say about that. Uh, take, take a good look at Proverbs 14:31. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind 
to the needy honors God. It isn't about class, um, class warfare. It's not about redistribution or socialism. This is about God. What happens when you oppress the poor? Literally, the Hebrew there, oppressing means literally to push down or to press down upon. So I've got these hand motions that kind of go with each point of this, this sermon, and that is in the posture of oppressing, we kind of raise our hands to press down or to strike. And, uh, this is, but this is about God. What happens when we do that? We actually are showing contempt for our maker. And uh, it, it's, it's really clear. When, when we dishonor or we press down or we oppress the poor around us, we're actually saying back to God, um, a taunt, a, a mocking, a mocking kind of word. We're we're pushing down on the poor, but we're actually saying, "Your creation isn't good enough." Or um, we're we're looking at at God and we're saying, uh, we're, we're expressing contempt. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Um, the the flip side of that, now that's why I really like this particular text, is it sort of captures that full range, that full spectrum of our responses to our postures towards the poor. The, uh, the, the ways that we can press down and exploit, but also the, the flip side of it, whoever's kind to the needy is honoring to God. So it isn't about the class. Um, it's about God. It's about how we bring honor and glory to him. Uh, look at Proverbs 22, verse 16. If you flip over to that, we start getting into some of the motives behind some of the oppression and exploitation that we see. One motive is just oppressing the poor to expand your own portfolio. Um, verse 16, He who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and he who gives gifts to the rich both come to poverty. It's not quite the outcome you expect. As you continue to give to increase your own wealth, um, as you continue to give gifts to your rich friends, Proverbs warns us that that actually leads to, to poverty. And that's not a hard and fast rule. We have to remember that Proverbs is... These aren't promises. These aren't curses. This is just sort of a, it's, it's a warning. It's wisdom to live by. The reality that sometimes in pursuing um, wealth at the expense of others, we end up in ruin ourselves. There's a great example of that, a, a story of a guy named Joshua Norton in San Francisco many decades back at the, uh, at the outset of the gold rush who thought he could get a corner on the rice market by buying out all the rice available in San Francisco at the time. And he figured, if I can do that, I can increase my wealth by monopolizing all the resources. And what ended up happening is just as he had kind of um, procured all the rice supply, in came a new boat from China with tons of rice. It kind of flooded the market, and he lost everything. He ended up being one of those great sort of eccentric San Francisco homeless people um, that's kind of gone on in legend. And people started calling him Emperor Norton because he started this correspondence with Abraham Lincoln, and he th- kind of thought he was in charge of all of California and the Mexican providences, and um, kind of an eccentric guy, but a great sort of character study in moving to oppress the poor by, by buying out all the supplies and then ending up in ruin himself. Take a look at um, verse 22 of chapter 22. You just kind of see how these little seedlings are sprinkled all throughout the wisdom of, of Proverbs. It says, Do not exploit the poor because they are poor. Do not crush the needy in court. For the Lord will take up their case and will plunder those who plunder them. There's another motive there. Exploiting the poor simply because they're poor. Uh, Maybe not for your own financial gain, but because they're easy to step on. They're just kind of that bottom rung on the ladder. 
Um, I think of predatory lending and the way that that really that ruins some people because they're already poor and they end up deeper in debt. Um, in San Francisco and a number of other cities, uh, you'll notice that there are people who will buy hotels and then rent out rooms on a weekly basis to the poor, often people who are living on the streets in these single-room occupancy hotels. And they rent it at rates that would be even higher than if, if they rented it per month. And the idea is that poor people can only come up with a week's rent. They can't come up with a, a, a full month's deposit and first and last month's rent. And so what you actually see, and this actually happens, is people charging by the week an incredible amount of money simply because people are too poor to pay for the whole month. That's exploitation because people are simply poor. If you look at chapter 28, verse 3, there's another good proverb here. I'm just kind of flipping around. A lot of page turning today. Proverbs 28.3 gives us another, just another moment in, uh, in motivation behind oppression. It says, A ruler who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain that leaves no crops. And the translation there isn't necessarily an elected ruler, but is one who is in power, a powerful one, who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain that leaves no crops. And I love that, that image earlier that we just looked at, the Lord taking up their case, almost like God, kind of the pro bono lawyer, you know, God on the side of the underdog, which is this constant theme that you hear in scripture. Um, Jeremiah 20, 22 gives us this, he defended the cause of the poor and the needy. And so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? But your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, and on oppression and extortion. Um, in, in Job, as Job laments kind of his life, and he, as he starts to kind of question what's going on in his own story, he asks in, in verse 15 of chapter 31, Job just cries out, Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? If I've denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I have kept bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, in verse 21 of chapter 31, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, then Job just says, then let my arm fall from its shoulder, and let it be broken off at the joint. And you just have this image of God, um, and this kind of repeated theme of the biblical ethic of caring for the poor. Why? Because God does. This is what This is part of God's um, attribute. This is God cares because he made them in his image. And he made all of us in his image. And uh, to, to speak out or to oppress, to push down against the poor is actually to, to insult that image that God created. Um, I don't know if you've had the experience of having someone insult or mock or taunt something that you created. Maybe a, a work of art or some, something you put a lot of time into and it's just sort of been disregarded or, or mocked. I, the closest I, I come to that is when I cook something at, at home and it doesn't turn out right and the whole family kind of gets on my case about it. But, um, you know, I put a lot of time and love into this and then it just gets taunted. And how much more so God, who, um, who created each of us, rich and poor, is insulted by our oppression of people, our, our deliberately taking advantage of them for economic gain. I have a great um, illustration of this that we experienced in London within the, the first few months that we were living there. Um, in December, close to Christmas, our building, now we're living in kind of a housing estate, 
Uh, it's a fancy word for a, pro- a housing project, really. And uh, real close to Christmas, about a week before, we ran out of water. And it wasn't just us. We discovered slowly that it was actually the whole building. was um, where There's no water at the tap. We started, you know, day two or three, we, we realized there's no, no flushing toilets, no um, water coming in through the, through the, through the shower. And we kind of started asking around, and we discovered it's out in the whole building. And I think my immediate instinct at first was just to, to go to the store, buy a whole bunch of bottled water, and hand it out, you know, one by one to our neighbors and say, here you go, God loves you, and kind of do that sort of super missionary thing. And I thought that would have been a good instinct, but actually we thought that through, and we said, you know, that will always peg us as sort of the wealthy Americans who live downstairs and who haven't answered all the problems. And we thought, what if we actually just experience this as our neighbors do and walk through it with them? Are there ways that we can kind of raise our voice together collectively for this? So we started calling, started passing out the phone number and asking people to call the water company. And it turned out that whenever we called, we would be told, and our neighbors would be told this too, that no one else had complained, that it didn't seem to be a problem. It was just us. Um, Meanwhile, I went to their website and I found out that there was a similar outage on another side of town in the wealthier area, the west, uh, west end of London. And we, we discovered that they were working night and day. I mean, they had it posted on their website. 24 hours, we're working on this. We're aware of the problem. Don't worry, your water will be restored soon. And our building, kind of in the forgotten east end of London, uh, with our neighbors calling left and right, was kind of left without water for a whole week. Um, I think that was deliberate, uh, uh, an expression, an example of, you know, forgetting about the poor and just sort of leaving them the way they are because they're already poor. You know, these aren't the movers and shakers, they're the moved and the shaken. So why, why go and fix their problem when we have um, other people's problems to deal with? Um, that's just an example of, in living color from our lives. But I'm, I'm kind of wondering, where, what are situations where we, I mean, it might be hard to imagine for, for us living here on the South Shore, of Boston, where are places that, that we oppress or deliberately exploit? Um, and I wonder, are, are, there, are there times when we're connected enough to our food source to know who has grown our food or who has um, sewn our clothing in a way that, and, and are they earning a, a decent living wage? Um, I wonder about some of the, the sex trafficking that happens throughout the world. It's a virtual form of slavery um, because poor women and their families are trapped in poverty. And the only way out is through exploitation. Um, these things are still happening in our day and age today. And it's a deliberate sort of pressing down and an oppression of people who are created in God's image. What do we do about that? Proverbs speaks directly to it. So there's that first posture. There's a second posture, though. You might, you might actually feel like, I don't know, I'm not connecting. It's not my style to express or to, to exploit or oppress. But there is this sort of posture of, you know, not even wanting to be able to see it or hear it. And that's kind of moving your hands from, from raising to press down. But maybe, maybe it's just better to cover your ears and just not hear. And so the second posture of ignoring with your hands over your ears is addressed in Proverbs chapter 21. Look at verse 13 in Proverbs 21. It says, if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. And you get this sense from the wisdom of Proverbs collected, speaking back to us from God, that if you ignore, 
you may be ignored as well. may not always be the case. But if there's sort of a willful lack of awareness, if there's an inability or, or a desire to not pay attention, you know, deliberately shutting your ears, that's not an excuse. It's, it's not enough to just not oppress, but not paying attention. That doesn't help either. Now, I realize that it, this, this kind of talk raises all kinds of questions about who's really to blame when people are poor. And you kind of get this age-old debate between whether it's the, the poor choices of people like homeless friends of ours from San Francisco, from our previous life and ministry. You know, it's always the question of, is this an addiction? Is this mental illness? Um, are these the choices of the poor or not? And I think it's a combination of both people's personal sin, but also sort of a society or a, a structural oppression, or a structural pressing down on the poor. It's a combination of both, and Proverbs really speaks to both of those. Um, there's a reality for all of us, whether we're oppressors or we're people who just don't want to pay attention to it, that it's hard to look at and we'd rather not look. Isn't that true? Um, I, Pam and I walked through a neighborhood in Nairobi, Kenya, that um, as I walked through, I wished every Christian I knew had an opportunity just to see and to witness because it actually changes the way that you think, pray, give, and probably live. Let me read from you um, just some pages from my journal from this walk through Kabira Slum in Nairobi, Kenya a couple years back. And I want you to just, I want to invite you to, to walk through this with us and pay attention. Open your ears, open your eyes. There's simply no way to describe Kabira slum. For the first time in our trip, I'm speechless. From the outset, we find ourselves carefully choosing our footing amidst huge puddles of rainwater, mud, and open sewers, pressing forward among a throbbing crowd in a bottleneck opening into the slum. It's all I can do to try and follow our guide, keep an eye on Pam at my side, and make sure I don't end up losing a shoe in the mud pits. As we step off to the sides of the main path and enter into the living areas, we get a more grim picture of the daily reality of Kabira's 800,000 squatter residents. This is Nairobi's largest slum and second largest in all of Africa. In narrow walkways between dirt and rusted aluminum shacks, we are literally walking through trash, mud, and human waste. The place reeks of sewage, and we are holding ourselves up by the walls in order to gain secure footing. Beyond us to the left is an open area filled with trash. It's gated in by chicken wire and contains two enormous pigs that have made their home among the rubbish. And our guide points and jokingly comments that this is why he doesn't eat pork in Nairobi. There's beautiful signs of life in God's kingdom as well. Ramshackle churches with handwritten signs welcoming people in. Colorfully clothed children playing games kicking homemade soccer balls in the dust, smiling mothers, old men talking with one another over cups of tea, a shack with the painted words over the door, community development organization. African gospel music spills out of a battery-powered radio in one of the storefronts. We move through the tiny corridors of the slums' living quarters and we're speechless. We are followed by a small flock of curious children, onlookers who are puzzled by our presence. Flea-ridden dogs are seeking shelter in the shade of leaning buildings around the corner. Mud-soaked chickens peck the ground for the slightest bit of grain. The afternoon heat, the overwhelming smell, and the absolute desperateness of the conditions 
are starting to wear on me. And I pray, how can this be? I walked through that and I thought, every Christian should see this. And I also thought every homeless person I know should see this too, as well. Because it, it puts life into perspective, even for someone living on the streets here in the United States. So I wonder, how is it that we could take the hands off the ears, um, open our eyes, and actually pay attention to the cry of the poor? Uh, Maybe just a couple of simple things. How could you, in your life, take a closer look? How could you make eye contact with the person uh, bagging your groceries or clearing the table at the restaurant? Um, How could you... Maybe, maybe it's a matter of taking public transit and um, actually encountering people that are there on their way to work or, or riding it for whatever reason. Is there a way that you could move at the speed of shalom rather than kind of in your own bubbled-in car? And uh, you might actually encounter, engage a little bit more and, and take a look. Um, one, of the, one of the prayerful exercises I've engaged in over the years just to kind of take my hands off my ears a little bit as a guy who grew up in the suburbs, is prayerfully reading through the newspaper and actually paying attention to the number of times that you see poverty, calamity, uh, people who are really in desperate situations right there, and actually making that sort of a prayerful exercise, uh, both for me and praying and interceding for the world. Um, I think you could, as a church, sort of take a step towards seeking out the poor. Um, and, and I would invite you to do that. And sometimes it's just a matter of taking a closer look. Well, there's, a, there's a, a third posture as well, and that might be if you're not oppressing or, or ignoring, you could find yourself just sort of subtly, gently, maybe um, not intentionally, but it just sort of happens. Um, we're, we, we mock the poor sometimes, don't we? Proverbs speaks to that in chapter 17. 17 verse 5 in Proverbs says, He who mocks the poor, again, here's that phrase, shows contempt for their maker. By taunting God, by making fun of his creation and his image, he who mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. And I just wonder, what are the small, subtle ways that we mock the poor around us? The people who are just slightly below the ladder, down, down a rung or two from us on the ladder. Um, what are the ways that we make fun of people's accents as they're trying to learn our language? Um, or we make jokes about race or jokes about the elderly, people who are needy or, or who need help. What, are, what about some of the TV shows that we consume or just the ways that our culture actually, have you noticed, just sort of likes to beat down and press and mock people who are less fortunate? What are some ways that we do that? Well, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, Proverbs actually speaks to sort of a, a, a way of living and a, and a good way of life that actually gets to the heart of care and, and kindness towards the poor. And that's kind of my fourth posture that you might find yourself in, and that is with your hands stretching out. And by that I meant, and I, and I mean just extending a hand in hospitality and welcome, not necessarily in handouts as in uh, giving things away. If you look at chapter 14, um, verse 21 in Proverbs, Here's a great one here. It says um, in chapter 14 of Proverbs, verse 21, He who despises his neighbor sins, but blessed is he who is kind to the needy. 
he who despises his neighbor sins. If you're a hateful person, it's a sin, but blessed are you when you're kind to the needy. Chapter 19, verse 17 says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. That's Proverbs 19, 17. When you're kind to the poor, guess who you're giving to? You're lending to the Lord. This is an echo of um, Jesus' words in Matthew 25. As you've cared for the least of these, you've cared for me, you've lent to me, you've, been, you've shown kindness and hospitality to me. You'll be rewarded for what you've done. Um, I think this is a matter of just simple human interaction. I think this is a matter of making eye contact, um, extending a greeting, maybe extending a hand of friendship and welcome to people that don't look like you or um, come from a different place in society. Uh, We've got a great, just a, a beautiful story from some of our interns that were in South Africa over the summer in a township just outside of Pretoria called Soshanguve, um, where there aren't a whole lot of white people at all. And we had some interns that were down there for the summer staying in host families. And one of our young guys, we were just in debrief a couple weeks ago, shares the story of going into a grocery store, um, getting a couple of chickens to take home. And um, he's getting in line, and he actually sort of steps into line, and an older black gentleman from the township looks at him and kind of does a gentle sort of bow. And this is sort of an echo of apartheid in South Africa that still exists. Um, Right there in the township, the black man kind of bows and steps out of the way and and allows this white intern of ours to go ahead of him. And I just love that the intern sort of captured that moment and saw it for what it was and extended a very simple gesture of kindness. Um, He paused and he smiled and he bowed himself as well. And he stepped out of the way and asked, the elder gentleman to go first. And um, that so moved this, this guy that he actually kind of reached out his hand and grabbed a hold of it, uh, looked him in the eye, and, and with tears in his eyes actually said, no, no white man has ever stepped out of the way for me like that. And that, that still exists. That's still happening today. Um, if you think that this is very, a real complicated story, If you think that this is um, something that takes a lot of pyrotechnics to do, I want to remind you that that was a matter of making eye contact and being gentle and stepping out of the way. Sometimes it's as simple as that kind of open-handed, kind response. What are the ways that you could do some of that as well? Um, In our neighborhood, we've we've discovered that there's a lot of animosity between the white um, British people who have been in the neighborhood for a long time and the waves of immigrants that have come in from Bangladesh and Pakistan. And certainly tensions between Christian, a, a formerly Christian nation and Islam that's, that is moving into the neighborhood. And uh, Pam and I were welcomed over to the house of a young couple who's got um, a child in our son's school. And we were um, having a cup of tea with them. And they actually said to us, we want to thank you because you are some of the only people who say hello to us on the playground when we drop the kids off every day for school. You're some of the only people who talk to us. And they're, they're this family of um, immigrants from Bangladesh who I think don't get recognized, don't get the, the, just the kind greeting by the other parents that are in this school. 
Um, so there's no, there's no rocket science here, but it's that, that gesture, that posture of sticking your hand out and befriending. What are some ways that you guys could do that? Proverbs, and the wisdom of Proverbs invites us into that. Um, okay, la- last posture here is actually going to, to, to give, and it's, it's this hands-open approach to, to the poor and to the needy around us. Look at um, chapter 22, verse 9. There's a proverb here, just a, a short little poem that, that says, A generous man himself will be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. And you know what? Actually, I love the fact that it says he shares his food. Not he started a, a, an amazing food program or... And I, and I think those things are great. The food bank or food programs that feed a whole bunch of people at once. We need those. But this proverb just says, you know, you're blessed when you share your food with the poor. Um, what, what would it look like for each of us to extend in some way just sort of a, a simple gesture of sharing something we have with someone who's less fortunate? How could we do that in this environment here? Um, another one to look at in chapter 28, verse 27. Proverbs 28:27 says, He who gives to the poor will lack nothing. But he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. So you've got this mention of blessing. You've got, you've got the reality of lacking nothing because you're, you're giving to the poor. It could be as simple as exchanging a meal. One of the things we've discovered with the family that lives upstairs from us in London, they've got nine kids. They're, they're an immigrant family from Bangladesh. The dad hasn't worked in years, and so they're, they're living in subsidized housing from the government. And they're our upstairs neighbors. And we have discovered the power of chocolate chip cookies to, to reach into people's lives and have started exchanging a plate of chocolate cookies with them. And you know what we get in return? Uh, they return the plate. And it's usually full of, you know, rice and curry and lamb and chicken and all kinds of great stuff. It's usually too spicy for anyone else in my family, so I get to eat it all, which is kind of nice. But, um, man, what a powerful exchange. And you know what, what it's, what's happened? Just in our little corner of London, in a no-name building, is, you know, a white, relatively privileged family from America is exchanging food with a family of 11 from one of the poorest countries in the world. And it's human, but it's divine because it's full of that wisdom that God just sort of um, shouts at us through the pages of Proverbs. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing. Um, we, we have lacked for nothing in our 10 years of journeying in this. And I think I partly say this um, just to say that it, it's true. But I also do want to say it doesn't take a professional missionary to do it. Um, just because I get to share about it and we get to do it for a living doesn't mean it has to be a vocation. I think that this is a simple matter of extending a hand and offering a part of who you are, whatever your gift is, whether it's cooking or anything else, and inviting people into that relationship. So I would almost challenge you, what, what in this next week, where, where could you do something like that? Where could you actually sort of test, test out this proverb 
and experience the blessing that comes with giving a little part of yourself? Who, who could you extend yourself to this week? And just see what happens. See how the Lord um, blesses you in return. And, and it's not a guarantee. I, I don't want to give you the idea that if you, if you do the, the good karma over here, you get good karma back. That's not what this is about. But there's some wisdom in Proverbs that say, this is a life that's well lived. And as much as you've got the wisdom of living in, in good standing with your family and being a person of integrity and managing your finances well, there's also this reality of how we treat the people on the bottom that matters to God. So I'm just going to assume that you know someone or somewhere where um, you can think through your attitude and your posture, whether it's one of taking advantage of them, uh, maybe making fun of them or mocking them, exploiting them in some way. Maybe it's just a matter of you, you sort of tune out and you, you're not paying attention. You're ignoring the situation that they're in. Uh, maybe you're in a posture of kindness or of sharing. And I would say that the, the wisdom of Proverbs suggests that a life well lived is a life of generosity. It's a life of kindness towards the less fortunate and it's a better way to live. Why? Because God created all people and in doing so we honor God. And this is really more about honoring God than anything else. It brings God glory to show kindness and extend yourselves. It's also in keeping with the ethics of his kingdom. Uh, God's kingdom is upside down. It's backwards from what our culture and our society speak to us. But it's an invitation to live in a way that's open and generous and kind. Even to the people that are despised and forgotten by by the society around us. Let me, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll finish. God, we are continually challenged by the wisdom in your word. Thank you for Proverbs and for the way that you remind us how full life can be when we remember the least, when we remember the forgotten. I pray for the people of this church that you would open our eyes to the way that we inadvertently um, bring difficulty or exploitation to those um, in the world. But I pray you move us past that um, to opening our eyes and ears to the cry of the poor and to moving us into a place and a posture of kindness and generosity. Lord, don't let us do this just to do more good stuff for you, but because of your grace. Let us do it because we want to bring glory to you and to your name and not to our own. And let us do it, God, when we um, are empowered by your spirit and filled with grace and not out of a sense of works righteousness. God, use your voice, the voice of the poor, to speak to us. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. And I pray that this church would be a blessing and a light to to those on um, the south shore of Boston, in our communities, in our churches, in our neighborhoods and around the world for the sake of your name. Amen. Well, let's look to Jesus, the greatest example of kindness and generosity. Would you turn to number 486 in the celebration hymnal? Number 486, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy. Would you please stand? Let's sing together.